Hello friends, this is your friend Kent C. Dodds, and I'm joined by my friend Henry Zhu. Say hi, Henry. Hi, everyone. So Henry and I go way back. I, I remember mm -hmm. the um, the first time I remember seeing you uh, on the internet was uh, with Babel Eslint. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I don't think I've ever told you this story, but um, I remember Sebastian was like, hey, I can't maintain this project and like all the others. Um, so I, I can't do this one anymore. Mm -hmm. And you you mentioned I, I could do it. And I, I remember seeing um, you and I was like, this is the first time I've seen this guy. Who is this guy? Like, <laughs> he thinks he can manage this project. And so I, uh -huh. I went and saw that you'd been involved in JSES and stuff like that. Uh -huh. um, but <laughs> I just remember thinking that. Uh, and then, of course, like now you're the the head honcho maintainer mm -hmm. of Babel at, at this point. But uh, and and since then, I've gotten to know you, and it's been a real pleasure. Um, so yeah, um, why don't we just get to know you uh, generally for those who don't know you uh, very well? Um, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself um, before we get into our conversation, I'm sure people would love to know more about you. Yeah, so I'm Henry Zhu. I mean, that's kind of a good intro, honestly. I got involved in open source because of a project called JSCS, which is a JavaScript linter. Um, and it was kind of related to JS Hint, and then we ended, eventually merged it into ESLint, which is why you have never heard of the project at this point. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I, I, was like, I was in that conversation with Nicholas and the team to help merge the projects because you know you don't see that often in open source like it's always like forking things or whatever um mm -hmm. i think people were burnt out and we're doing the same thing might as well combine forces um and yeah i think i probably thought the same thing as you uh you were saying that like you know who's this random person trying to take over this project yeah i, I am i was a random person and i don't know how i ended up in this position because you know that was with babel eslin i eventually like maintain that and then eventually was one of the few people that just happened to be involved in Babel. And then when Sebastian got burnt out and he left, I just was one of the people that had this step up. I mean, not like I had to, it's just, I accidentally was in that position. And then I just, <laughs> I just had to learn all of it. I, and it's not like I knew how to be a maintainer or anything about compilers. Honestly, like you just somehow made it work. And I think looking back, I, I don't think I would, give someone you know the access to this now and now that we know about like left pad and event stream mm -hmm. all that stuff it's maybe it's a really bad idea but so <laughs> i worked out and i i guess i'm grateful that i had the opportunity because i'm not like that much of a you know great programmer in terms of everyone else that's doing stuff it just happened to work out so hmm, um, yeah well and, i, I yeah I happen to know that you've done uh, quite a bit of coding, and I, I would say that you're a great programmer. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, lots of programming is persistence uh, as well, but you've done some really awesome things. Uh, so thanks for that. Uh, I'll, I'll let you finish your uh, telling us about yourself. Um, yeah, I, I guess just real quick. I Yeah, I maintain Babel right now um, as one of the... I'm the only person working on it full time. And when I say full time, it doesn't mean I'm like spending all my time doing it. It's just my intention is to spend like my I, I'm calling it my job to work on this project because I quit my job at Adobe. So I quit like last March. So it's been almost a year and a half now. Um, and I'm fully funded through the community, through Open Collective and Patreon and now GitHub. Um, and yeah, that has been, a, I guess, a dream come true. I know it's a lot of people's dreams to do open source full time. Probably one of the few people that is able to do it. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I've been trying to figure out 
how to make that work for myself, our team, and then just thinking about open source in general and trying to help other people and other collectives or other projects get funding or just like not even money related. Like how do you deal with the emotional side of open source dealing with just being a maintainer and managing that with your regular work life, all that stuff. Um, and then just more personal stuff. I'm pretty into uh, video games, uh, board games and ping pong. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. What What are your favorite board games right now? Um, actually, yeah, so I've been pretty into Seven Wonders, and then lately a lot more, you could call them party games, because not everyone's, like, super hardcore into board games, so Codenames mm. is really good, um, Dixit, and recently I got this game called The Mind, which is really great, um, and I actually wrote my last newsletter just about that game, because I thought it was interesting, <laughs> um, so I, I might come up with a blog post about how I think that relates to, like, other things um Mm, yeah it's really cool it's a game where um just to i guess explain it it's a game Mm. where you are supposed to technically read people's minds um and which is it sounds weird but essentially it's just a deck of cards from one to a hundred and you deal out cards to each person and there's multiple levels each level you like level one you have one card level two everyone has two cards but um you're supposed to play the cards in order from ascending order um but you can't talk to anyone so like if you have like the two or like the one you have to play it right now but if you have the 10 you should probably play it soon but you have no idea who's supposed to go and so um you know you can be kind of lenient with like how you communicate like body language uh, but it's really fun because there's certain scenarios where it's like it just seems impossible that it happened but like say you know, I played 19, then someone played 20, and then 21, then 22, and nobody, like, said anything. It just, like, happens, right? Huh. Um, so there's, like, really cool moments that you can have. And it's not it, – sometimes it doesn't even feel like a game. It's just, like, a way to, like, bond together in this uh-huh. shared experience. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. That's fascinating. So it's like a collaborative game. You all win together kind mm-hmm. of game. Yeah, cool. yeah or lose yeah. together. <laughs> yeah, that's a fun game. That, that sounds very interesting. Um You'll have to bring it to the next conference. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Are you going to React Rally? It's yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. Are you going? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. So I'll bring it. I'll bring it then. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, by the time everybody listens to this, that'll already have happened. But, um, <laughs> yeah, that's I'm true. sure we had a great time. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, cool. So um, I, I'm really, I, I always love talking with you because you have a really unique perspective on um, the world of open source, being a full-time open sourcer uh, person. Um, and recently, you haven't been doing a whole lot of coding uh, mm-hmm. with the open source work that you've been doing, which is interesting. And as a, a maintainer, I know that like most of maintaining a project is not coding, um, but uh, but like pretty much not doing any coding recently. Uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your strategy there. Um, how do you maintain a project or even contribute to a project without actually coding? Yeah. Um, so that's a really hard question because, and this kind of gets into not even open source. Like I, how do I parallel with people that are not maybe contributing now is that, you know, when you get to a point where you're like, oh, maybe I should be a manager, that kind of thing. I think it's the same problem. And I've never been a manager. I've always just been, you know, a programmer at a company. I never really thought about getting promoted and all this stuff. And mm. I think that, that transition is hard because what happens is you go from, I think we tend to value our work based on like how many commits or like, you know, pushing out features, like shipping things. Right. 
And, mm. you know, when you become a manager, you can't, you're not writing code either, probably not as much at least. And so your evaluation is around like people, how they're doing, like, how do you bring, like move them up towards the goals that they want. And so I'm basically doing the same thing with our own team. And before I was like, oh, I, you feel good about like making commits, uh, fixing bugs, merging PRs, all these things. And now I don't have that anymore. So how do you even measure if you're doing well? And you always feel bad because you always want to go back to writing code because it's like not just easier because you're used to it, but then also easier to measure. And so mm -hmm. it's been kind of hard. It's like definitely taking this whole year to feel like, okay, that I don't feel guilty not writing code, basically. <laughs> um, not even because I like, I think I should be writing code, but then other people might think I should be writing code too. Because mm -hmm. I think we all have this expectation that maintainers should be writing code. But then also maintainers know that, you know, not even just the code, but like triage and merging things, releasing process, onboarding, you know, marketing, you know, um, documentation, testing, making videos, giving talks. Like there's a million things you can be doing. Mm -hmm. um, and they all help the project. And if our goal is to make it sustainable for a long run, I don't think well, the way I was thinking about it is like, I don't think long run, it would be good if I just spent all my time fixing bugs and making the issue count go to zero when I know the rate at which it's going to go up and the users that we have is just not possible for one person. So mm. if anything, the way we should be spending money or the way I should spend my time is to figure out a way to get more people involved, either new contributors or companies or getting more funding these other things, which take a lot longer time and the feedback cycle is a lot longer, but I think it's worth doing. That's what I've been trying to do with like the podcast or giving talks, trying to be more experimental, even like just try new ideas. Like, and you have to be okay with like failing and doing that. And it's, that's hard because um, there's no like standard or like, oh, I'm supposed to do it this way. And that's kind of scary, right? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, there's a bit of the unknown. And then that, that mm -hmm. peer pressure that you mentioned as well, mm -hmm. uh, it's tricky, especially, um, when, uh, people are, are financing, uh, your decisions, you, you feel like an accountability toward those people mm -hmm. and making sure that you're doing right by them. Um, which I, as a maintainer of projects, I know that, yeah, you, you, um, you can spend a lot of time, um, like quality time on the project without actually writing um, any code. Um, so you mentioned a bunch of things that um, that take up your time as a maintainer of the project that don't involve uh, writing code. What, what do you think, like, let's, let's say that I'm a new person in the open source world. I want to get into contributing open source. I'm probably thinking, um, like, okay, I need to write some code to, you know, to like, that, that's kind of the default is like, when people say contribute to open source, they're thinking code. Um, what would you say to, uh, to somebody who's, who's just starting to get into open source as a good way to kind of enter that realm? Like maybe somebody comes to you and says, Hey, I think Babel is a cool project. I want to get involved. What are the kinds of things that you say to kind of help them get into the open source? Yeah. I mean, I think you've talked about this a lot too, but in the there's no because the defaults code and there's so many things to do think of it as a company or just a volunteer project um i don't there's no blanket statement i could say about what you could do but i think honestly the best thing to do is just to talk to that person like and figure out what they like what they're good at what their background is like i would say something like you know if you already have a coding background and you're just writing code at work already then 
you maybe maybe your first contribution could be code because you're <laughs> the open source coding and that is not that different it's just that it's I, I like to say it's like when you join a company all the code is unknown to you too right you have to get onboarded and learn all this stuff um it's just that you're getting paid for it and someone's supposed to be your mentor but honestly it's the same thing with open source the code base is also unknown um it's just more visible uh and mm. in that sense it shouldn't be that different Although it will be harder because you have to find someone to help you. Um, and maybe, I don't know, for some reason at your job, you're more willing to figure out how things work. And it depends on the complexity of the project. Obviously, maybe if you think that this project is really big, then maybe it's better to find a smaller project. Or the big project has smaller scope projects for you to look at. Um, I think otherwise, I would look at some of the skills that you already have that are outside of coding, or it, maybe you don't even have a coding background at all. Um, maybe you're maybe you're in like finance, or you're doing business, or you do art. You know, I think there are other opportunities to to make a difference um, on the website, or you know, all these different ways. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. They're uh, they're like it's multifaceted. Uh, the mm -hmm. the things that open source projects need. Um, yeah. So like, can you tell me, you mentioned like if you're into finance or something like that, then you can contribute to open source, which made me think of my next question of like, what, um, why would somebody want to get into open source if they're not going to be contributing code? Like what, what do I, like one of the things that I say uh, to people about like when, when people ask me uh, if I could be their mentor or something, as I say, well, I, I never really had an official technical mentor. Uh, I, I just used open source as my mentor. And then I had like hundreds of people who were like responding to my PRs and stuff like that and mentoring me uh, in the open source world. And, and so that was one of the benefits um, that I got by contributing code to open source. What would you say are some of the benefits to contributing um, something other than code to open source? Yeah, I mean, I would say that it's a good way to get involved in like open source as a project because... I mean, like this is assuming that you want to get involved in the first place. So maybe, maybe like, why would you want to do it in the first place? Well, I would say that it's a type of, I don't know, anyone, what do you call it? Like a thing that is, it just, some of the values that at least are shown through the project are different than in the world where it's like you give it away hmm. for free. People always, I like, it's so funny. Like even at church, I, I'll tell people like, they're like, what do you do? Like, it's really hard to explain what I do now, but <laughs> I might, if I just say open source, I'll be like, well, I write code and I give away for free or something like that. And they're like, why would you do that? You know, how do you make money? And all these questions come up, but people are mm -hmm. very interested in that because there's not a lot of things like that. Um, and so just because they want to get involved in a community that's bigger, that's, you could say it's used by lots of people, that kind of thing you're giving back. Um, I think that's a good reason. And if they want to get into tech, I, I would say like, one way of getting involved without having to necessarily say I'm going to you know, get a degree and all this stuff is to do open source. And that's I, I guess I'm just saying that like um, being involved in the community is a lot more than just making some commits. There's like understanding mm. who's involved, getting to know those people at a personal level, especially when there's so few people. Um, and a lot of them are very available. Not that you're going to bombard them with questions, but like slowly getting involved. It just takes time. You can't just show up. Um, and then expect all this stuff to be given to you. Uh, but if you're there, people will notice and will talk to you. Like more, pe most maintainers are more than willing to um, get to know people, especially if they're going to stick around because they're like, so few people do. 
um, in the first place that like anyone that shows up like, wow, we would totally want to help you. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, even recently, like we've had two um, contributors or a few contributors that we added as a triage role, um, which is really nice that GitHub finally added this uh, permissions yeah, model. Real. Like, yeah. So to explain, normally you can either be like an admin, which lets you do anything. And then there's like commit access, which lets you merge PRs, but there's no access to let you only like say close issues, uh, label issues, those kinds of things. So we're trying to figure out like, oh, that's one way of like slowly letting people get involved without like overburdening them with responsibility or feeling like they don't deserve certain things. Like, so sometimes you might even add people, just give them commit rights really early, but then they don't use it because they don't feel like they're qualified enough. So I think that's like mm. a, a stepping stone to help them feel more confident about themselves. Like sometimes I'll give people access and then that means like, oh, you can merge things now and maybe I'll even suggest do it, but then they're scared. And it's, that's normal. Like, cause mm -hmm. you, you've never done it before. You're scared you're going to like make a bug or a release and like all this stuff. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's like, how do you help them get to that point? And that's one way of doing that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like as a maintainer, you really want to give them that responsibility because that, um, when somebody has that that gift of trust and responsibility given to them, they often will like stand up for or or like rise to the challenge um, mm -hmm. yeah. and become more involved. Um, and so it's yeah, it's great that GitHub has added that new um, more stepping stone, more um, I don't know, yeah, that role. Um, so yeah, there's we talked about like. Uh, con contributing by uh, triaging issues, which is a huge, huge help. Like that's so much of maintaining. Um, and then the um, like also their support channel. So you have a Slack channel, um, mm -hmm. which I'm sure like I, I haven't been there in a little while. But um, when I was there, are people uh, posting things on there all the time, asking for help. And, and mm -hmm. uh, so there's lots of opportunity to um, to get help or, or to help out. Um, and mm -hmm. lift there, um, you know, designing the website um, or like building the website or making examples for the website. Um, and like also doing podcasts and the things that, that you're doing. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like there are just so many opportunities that you can contribute. And um, all of these things are kind of like um, mm -hmm. building around the, the open source right. project. How do these things... Um, like how are these things actual contributions how does this make the project itself better because we're not actually contributing to the core code here so we're not actually making the software itself better but um by contributing to the things around the software how does that make things better indirectly yeah so that's a really good question um i think that that's what the aspect of community is all about that um you know inherently you know you have to be able to the, the project is going to be broadcasted in certain ways and so even through all those channels there are ways to contribute through that way and so like how are people going to know about Babel how are people going to know how to contribute to Babel it's going to be through the docs or videos or giving talks or doing podcasts um why like that's why now I find like oh we should do a Babel podcast just because we talk about all these things by ourselves and like maybe all the conversations we have could just be recorded and be interesting <laughs> to people because we maybe we assume all these things that people would like to know about and it doesn't even have to be like the compiler it could be about open source 
what it's like, uh, what are the things that we deal with on a day to day, what questions are we asking that we don't understand, um, like how, like all these questions we just brought up, like how do we get more people involved? How do we get people to stay? How do we find out what's best for the people? How do we onboard them? How do we organize all this, all the different areas of the project? Like, you know, if you have the podcast and the docs and like, can we, people even find it? Is it organized in a way that makes sense? Um, maybe there are, um, you know, we could have copy editing, like the, like the way that we write things doesn't, isn't like, um, it's like, like, you know, having a linter for your, you know, written stuff. So there, like blog posts, all those things. Um you know, making it more cohesive, I think. And also probably the most important thing in terms of long-term thing is what's the vision of the project and making sure people actually understand what's this about? Where is it going? Those kind of things. And those don't even like, you, you know, you can tweet things, you can write blog posts, but ultimately it's it's like, it's almost like, yeah, the culture, the, the ethos of the project and what what are people, when they hear about what is what do they think? Um, mm. it, you know, is it positive? Is it negative? Do they understand what the difference is between, like, say, a compiler and a polyfill, like those kinds of things? And I don't think people do. That means they're not doing a good job of showing that. Um, mm-hmm. And there are there are ways of trying to. So I, I think it is true. You still have to understand a lot about it. But I think you know, being able to talk at at a high level is really important. Um, if anything, me being able to talk to like people at church or just other friends are not in tech about what Babel is and they don't know anything about JavaScript and they still kind of get it is a good thing. And it helps me communicate better with just any any developer, honestly. Um, like I don't have to say that it's a compiler. I could just say it's a translator and I can talk about, I mean, mm. the name is Babel, you know, like those kinds of things. Uh, maybe it's easier because we work on that, but um, I think being able to communicate better is really important. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, one thing that, um, occurred to me as you were uh, saying some of those things. I've got a couple of things I want to uh, talk about. So one, one was that uh, when you're like a software engineer and you're writing code, you think that like it's awesome that you can optimize the performance of this one branch of code, and you're going to save. You know, when when you're talking about a project like Babel that's used by you know, hundreds of thousands of projects, um, you're going to save a lot of people, you, even if you shave off 500 milliseconds, you're going to save a lot of people a lot of time that scales very quickly. And so you feel sure. really good about that. And that's like a huge contribution. Um, and it, it occurs to me that if you can do, if you can improve the documentation in a way that uh, speeds people up in um, learning and applying that um, the cool tool, um, then you also save a lot of people a lot of time. So maybe you give a talk that shows here's how you do this, or you could build another tool around the tool to make it easier to use for a specific use case. There are lots of different things. So in that case, that would be contributing code, but maybe not to the core project. But there are a lot of different things that you can do um, that do make a, a substantial impact on the project. And maybe um, there's not really an easy place in Babel to uh, speed it up even 25 milliseconds, but there are like gaping holes in the documentation or something where you could speed up a lot of people by multiple, you know, factors of, of 10 over that or something. Um, and so like there are, um, where, where the needs are is where the contributions <laughs> are needed, I guess. Um, <laughs> and uh, and I, I think that's just a, uh, there's a lot of opportunity out there for people to contribute um, contribute code or um, in various other ways. 
Yeah, I, I think it kind of just gets to this issue in my mind of, you know, as a maintainer or any maintainer, we have to do a better job of showing people what's possible. If all we do is talk about code and we show and we reward people for coding, then people are going to be like, oh, I'm going to write code. But mm -hmm. maybe I should be more vocal about the fact that I'm not writing that that much. Not that I'm doing nothing at all, but I'm not focusing on that. And that's totally mm -hmm. fine. There's plenty of things to do. The fact that I can be full time and not do it shows that there's a lot of things that could be done. Mm -hmm. um, and hopefully that is helpful enough to people to say that, oh, I can, I just like, how do we get people to think a little bit differently, change their mindset around contributing to open source? Um, and to say that, you know, you know, we've been talking a lot about like contributing and I think a lot of it has to do with knowledge. And, I, you know, I've been thinking a lot more about this idea of like process knowledge, like the think that knowledge isn't just a bunch of, you know, bits. It's not just the information that's there, but, you know, the process behind it, like the metadata and all that stuff might not be in the docs. Uh, and maybe we need to write it down. Or there are things mm. that are just not expressible through docs and you just learn it during the process of being involved in projects. So very easy example is like when you're playing sports, you have like a mentor that just guides you through it or when you're learning to cook something, you know, like there are things that you pick up through the process of doing something that you can't take by just reading something. You have to be in the community. You have to be involved. You have to like it maybe even. Um, and you'll learn a lot more just showing up um, and hopefully those people will show up with you um, than simply reading a book or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, I think that's very true. Um, one thing that, um, so we're kind of coming down on our time. There are two things that I want to make sure to, to talk about. And one thing that we haven't mentioned that I just wanted to bring up for people is if, there, if you're a maintainer of a project and you want to encourage people to give these kinds of contributions, I'm not going to go too deep into this, but I just wanted to mention all contributors. Uh, if you mm -hmm. go to allcontributors.org, it'll um, it, it's a great place um, that uh, that shows you how you can give that um, or encourage that kind of contribution, non-code contribution. So definitely take a look at that. Then that's all I'm going to say about it. Um, but I just wanted, I, I thought it, I'd be remiss if we didn't um, at least mention that. Um, yep. the, the one thing that I definitely wanted to bring up before we run out of time here is um, you have this uh, podcast called Hope in Source, which is like hope mm -hmm. in source, right? I, I love that. I think that's great. Um, but it's yeah. talking about um, faith and its relationship um, and maybe not necessarily relationship, but like the, the correlation, I guess, be, mm -hmm. between faith and open source. And I'm curious, I, I want to hear just a little bit about your thoughts around that and how that applies to uh, the kinds of con contributions that we're talking about. Yeah, so I, I started that podcast to think, because I, and it wasn't like, oh, I, I'm someone of faith, so then I'm trying to figure out what's related. It's just like I got involved in open source, and then after a while, I was like, whoa, I didn't realize in the end, like, there's a lot of similarities, and there's a lot of parallels, I guess is the word. Um, you know, I, I think just at a fundamental level that open source, a big part of it is about service, about serving other people in the community, giving back, not expecting anything, that kind of thing. And I think that is the kind of ethos that we want in our faith communities, wh whatever it is. And I think, you know, in my own church, we serve in certain ways. We serve our own church, we serve the city, that kind of thing. Um, and so that's what got me thinking about that. And, you know, even in terms of like funding, you know, like asking for donations, um, fundraising, um, 
this idea of membership into something, mm. being committed to something for the long run. You know, the the in terms of religious institutions, they've been around for a long time. They have thought about maintaining a lot more than anyone in tech. Um, I think it would be a good idea for us to pay attention to, like, why things stay as they are, and even this idea of tradition. I think. Now we kind of shy away from tradition, or I think it's bad, but I think it's important for us mm. to understand why things are there in the first place. Um, mm. I, I brought this up on other podcasts, but there's a concept called Chesterton's fence, and it talks about this. You know, if there's a fence in front of you, which is talking about tradition or liturgy, that you know, you you might just be like, "Well, there's a fence. I'm just going to get rid of it." But his point was to say that before you get rid of it, probably someone put their put that fence there for a reason it wasn't just there right it was like some person put it there and so before you get rid of it you should understand why they put it there in the first place and that would make you be able to have a decision around whether you should remove it or not um, and it's the same thing if you keep it there you should probably understand why it was there in the first place too because what happens is when we get into our rituals and liturgies and traditions maybe we tend to create new meanings for them which is not bad or we forget why they were there in the first place, and then at the end we free, and we won't even do it anymore because it was like, what was the point of this again? Um, so I think it's important for us to think about those kinds of things in open source too. Like, um, you know, we have our own liturgies there too. We have meetups and conferences. They're they're annual. People meet up there. We we um you know we have Oktoberfest. There are different things that are like that in open source, and we think about like how are those going well and how are those not going so well, and what what we can do to improve on them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's a lot to be learned from um, religion uh, and faith, you know, communities of faith um, when mm -hmm. applied to open source. Yeah, I think that's very true. And uh, you don't have to believe in God to participate in open source, um, but having <laughs> a, a, a community of, of people um, and, and the, I just think, yeah, I agree. It's fascinating the relationship or, or the correlation there, the parallels. Um, between um, between those two. And, and if anybody wants to dive deeper into the subject, Hope and Source is a, a great podcast um, to look into. So uh, as we wrap things up here, Henry, um, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on before we um, conclude here with our call to action and, and wrap up? Um, I mean, it's kind of the same stuff. Um, <laughs> I think that Something I've been thinking a lot more about is just, I mean, you talked about non-coding a lot, but I think I've been trying to get into more other fields that are not literally coding, but are related. So that this idea of like trying to be more interdisciplinary, like uh, hmm. things that I thought had nothing to do with open source. I mean, like faith is one of them. Like after that, that's kind of like why, and I don't think about it, it makes sense. I, I decided to make another podcast called Maintainers Anonymous. And the whole point of that podcast is to, at first, it was like interview other open source maintainers. But then later, I was like, oh, I should just talk to anyone that what I would consider as a maintainer, which is very broad now. It's like someone mm. that takes care of something for like some common good. And so, you know, like some of the recent episodes, I interviewed someone that works at a museum, um, someone that works at a library, or you could be a gardener, you could be a parent. Like there's all these different people that have different experiences in their life and different vocabulary right all of this stuff and i think it's important for us to learn from i i want to so that's why i want to talk to those people yeah yeah but i think that's great and yeah, so people just go consume henry's content and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll all be good um cool so um just as our our grand takeaway from this uh conversation which i have really enjoyed um 
It's uh, you probably hear my kids <laughs> in the background. They're screaming out there. Um, but uh, yeah, so the, the call to action is I want people to try to find a way to do one thing to contribute to open source without writing any code. Um, and so like we talked about a lot of them, you know, write a blog post or, or um, triage some issues or go to the support channel and answer some people's questions. But if everybody who listens to this podcast uh, did that uh, for any open source project, that would be like a huge amount of work um, done to make the world a better place. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's that's our your homework um, for uh, <laughs> this episode. Um, Cool. So, Henry, how can people get in touch with you if they want to? Yeah, um, I guess you could go to my website. It's henryzoo.com, but it's Z-O-O. Uh, and then I'm on Twitter, too. So left underscore pad. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, I, <laughs> I know. <laughs> cool. Well, Henry, it's always a pleasure to chat with you. I, I've enjoyed our conversation. I hope that the people listening enjoyed it as well. And uh, yeah, we'll see you around the Internet. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Bye.